Now turn with me tonight, please, to the book of James, uh, to the book of James chapter 4. And we're going to read together from verse 1 of the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 12. So let's hear God's word as we find it recorded this evening in the New Testament, the book of James chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace. Unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another. Amen. We'll end our reading here. Uh, verse 12, and note the Lord will bless this, the public reading of his own holy word. This is a chapter that I've been turning often to over the past few weeks with people that have gone in and out to visit. It's been a time in which we've looked for grace and it's a time in which we've looked for encouragement in the opening verses of chapter 4, James deals with those hindrances that prevents the believer growing in grace. We like to sing, he giveth more grace, but we don't like to stop and ponder, well, are we hindering our growth in grace? What are we doing? Our fallen natures will always resist grace. And that is the reality. And our fallen natures will always resist decisions that are based on heavenly wisdom rather than earthly knowledge. Self and sin will always, no matter who you are, self and sin will always want to cling on to the world with its alternatives. And a, to the unwary Christian will seem appealing. So what a catalogue of hindrances James opens up for us. He warned the, the Jewish Christians of his day. And remember, these were the ones that were always in danger of going back into Judaism. 
of those things that lurk continually within their own members. And within their own members, he was talking about within their own uh, uh, souls, within their own individuals. And he talked. Uh, we would nearly not like to talk about these things amongst the, the people of God, about lust and desires. And how many carnal desires and lusts still lodge within the hearts of those who take the Lord's great name. And those things hinder growth and grace. He warned how self-seeking would only destroy their own prayer life with God. We've learnt over the past few weeks, when we come to ask, when we come to seek, when we come to knock, we're not coming to ask and seek and knock for self. We're coming to ask and to seek and knock for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God's grace. And when we come seeking the advancement of self, then, then, dear brethren and sisters, we ask to miss. That's what the book of James tells us. And, and therefore, uh, we do not receive the anticipated answer. James further cautioned those in these opening uh, verses this evening of James chapter 4. If you want to not grow in grace, if you want to not grow in grace, then hold on to the world. Then hold on to the friendship of the world. Because friendship with the world is always enmity with God. 2,000 years have nearly elapsed more since James penned these words. But the same principle applies as we sang in one of those earlier hymns. This vile world is no friend to grace to help us unto God. There are Christians tonight and maybe they're in places that they ought not to be. They ought to be in the house of God somewhere but they're not there. And they think that they're going to find help where they are. But this world is no friend to grace to help us unto God. And if you think the world is a help to you, to encourage you to go on with God, I want to say to you, dear believer, you are greatly deluded and deceived. Changing tack, but, but keeping to the same uh, end result, which we're talking about here, growing in grace. The negatives in the opening verses, James in this next section comes to the positives. All of those things that will help us to grow in grace. And I think that would be the desire of every true child of God gathered in this evening. We, we want to grow in grace. I don't think any of you would come out again to a Sabbath evening service and say, no, it's not for me, it's for somebody else. I know there's a desire within the hearts of every true child of God in the gathering tonight. It's your desire that you want to grow in grace and to go on with God. So what can we learn from this uh, second section, verse 6 to verse 12, that will enable us to go further with the Master? Well, we can learn from verse 6 and 7. First of all, we need to submit our lives afresh unto the Lord. Submit our lives afresh unto the Lord. You know, as a young Christian, I used to go to meetings and they used to sing those little choruses, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we weren't taught that we had to submit to Him. The word submit in verse 7, it's a military term when we look it up. It actually means uh, to get into your proper rank. 
You imagine the sergeant getting uh, those raw recruits into the rank on the parading ground or marching them up and down that parading ground to, to drill them. And they have to be drilled, they have to be practiced, they have to be proficient in what they're being taught to do and all the other skills that they'll acquire over the years. Uh, and so they've been put into their proper rank. Here we have unconditional surrender to the will of God. Submit yourselves unto God. Submit yourselves unto God. We submit not only for salvation. We, we know that he's the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we submit to him for his service, for wherever he wants us to be, whatever he wants us to do. Not everybody can be the sergeant or the corporal or the captain or whatever it is. The vast majority are just the foot soldiers. I'm glad that I'm just a foot soldier in the army of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a privilege just to be in his army. But we're to submit wherever he puts us in the will of God, in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a Christian, I believe, will be in continuous defeat if they're not in submission to the captain of their salvation. You imagine that raw recruit coming in and saying, uh, and he's putting one particular squad or, or, or one particular regiment, he said, no, I, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. Do you think he's going to go far in his career in the army? I don't think so. And there are many Christians like that, and they're arguing. They're arguing a doubt with God. God, I, I want something else for my life other than I have for my life. They're not submitted to what God has for their life. I, you know, I rarely, rarely ever sing that hymn or get people to sing it rather, the congregation to sing it, all to Jesus I surrender. Because I fear I am asking people to do something that they can't do and that they won't do. All to Jesus. That's a big ask, isn't it? But that's what God does ask. A submission in the will of God. Uh, we, we know submission covers salvation, but it covers an awful lot more. It covers our finances. It covers our families. It covers our friendships. It covers our fellowships. It covers our fun. It covers everything that we have along the journey of life. And God wants us not to surrender this little part of life to him, but all of life to him. That's what it means to surrender all. The Christian who is thus humbled will not go unrewarded because God says that he gives grace to the humble. Look at that verse 6. He giveth grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. When we submit ourselves unto him and accept what he has for our lives, God gives us grace. We looked at that verse with the boys and girls this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, and we read there about all of the, the submission that is involved in the context of that. Uh, we read in verse 5, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Submission. And then in verse 5 it goes on, Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. We, we like to say he giveth more grace, but he gives grace to the humble, the submitted ones. 
Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And it's all the one sentence, it's all the one thought. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. We, we sometimes can't cope because we're not submitted, we're not yielded unto the Lord. And sometimes our spirits sink lower and go lower because we, we don't know how to obtain the victory. But James chapter 4 teaches us how to obtain the victory. And if you want to have that victory in your life, well, be submitted to what God has for your life. Whatever it is, be submitted to what God has for your life. <clears throat> Here's our encouragement. You don't have to stumble on. He gives grace. He gives grace. And I don't know where you are in the journey tonight. Whatever a battle you're facing. I, I always think of that uh, a picture that Bunyan picks, pictures again in Pilgrim's Progress. Going up the hill of difficulty. Clambering up the hill of difficulty. Climbing up the hill of difficulty. Wherever you are on it you might even just be, be crawling up it tonight. It's so difficult life at the present time. But he gives grace to the humble. If you will but humble yourself. God says he'll give grace to you. There's grace abounding. There's grace sufficient. Turn back again with me to, to those lovely uh, verses in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Will you get there because you're stronger than anybody else? You're more self-willed. You're more determined. I know all of those things are important. But it's grace that will get you where you need to go to. And it's his sufficiency will meet your need along the way. But let us not be so foolish to trust in the flesh or our ability, but rather in the God of all grace and of all comfort. Let's submit ourselves. Secondly, let's learn to stand against the devil. That's what verse 7 teaches us to do. Resist the devil. The, de we, the devil doesn't like this news to get out. And of course the world likes to portray it in a very different way. So what a contrast is presented in, in just this little portion of scripture. We submit to God but we resist the devil. We submit to God, but we resist the devil. And the word resist, of course, again, is a military term. And it means to withstand an attack. Withstand an attack. It is assumed in this verse that the devil is on the offensive. This is the devil on the offensive. And you can rest assured that you will not have to go looking for him this week. Or you will not have to go looking for trouble this week. Because he'll be looking for you. And trouble will be on your way. That's why that passage there in, in Peter is so important for us all as, as Christians. Because it says in 1 Peter 5 and 8. That he, the devil, goes around like a, a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. You'll not hear too many roaring lions running on alone. But I have listened to them during the night. Not here. I have listened to them, and they're, they're after their prey. They're hungry. And the devil roars because he's after his prey. He's hungry for souls. And I read against such a, a fierce 
dangerous foe. What are we to do? Run? Close the door? Hide? We're to resist. We're to prepare for the offensive. We're not to give in. We're to put up the fight. We're to defend. We are to defend all of our possessions in Christ. And we do so on this basis that the Lord gives us the grace to do what we need to do. The answer to whatever your problem is tonight is not for you running away from your problem. That never was an answer to anyone. I can add there quickly. And it's not to run away from the spiritual battle either that you are engaged in. Lest Satan should take advantage of you. God says resist. Resist. And don't give in. Don't give in. Because there's grace for you. There's grace for you in the battle. He giveth more grace in the battle. Against sin. Against Satan. Against the world in which we live in. And when such a stand is taken. There's a promise given here. And the wonderful promise is that when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He will flee from you. He runs away. It's the devil who runs away. He, will not re- he cannot take on those who resist him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who through God's divine grace seek his victory and seek to overcome through him. He cannot defeat the child of God in such a way. When such a stand is taken, God has provided. He has provided us all that is necessary in the battle. I'm not going to go to it tonight, but you can go to Ephesians chapter 6. That great chapter all about the Christian armor, verse 10 to 17. And perhaps we'll come to that by and by. But here we have all that's needed to take the battle on. And to know the Lord's victory in the battle. So here we have the Christian submitted to God, resisting the devil, and he's assured of the outcome. He'll flee from you. Thirdly, notice that we seek to draw nigh unto God. Verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. This phrase, draw nigh to God, is parallel to the, the other phrase, resist the devil. So you resist the devil, you draw near to God. And the next clause is just as important. When you draw nigh to God, God draws near to you. And that's just in contrast. You resist the devil, he flees. You draw nigh to God, he draws near to you. What wonderful uh, parallelism. That the, to draw near to God, it was taken just from the Old Testament economy. And it was taken from the lives of the, the priests in Israel of old. If you go back with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 19 and verse 22, read about those who, who were enabled to draw near to God. Exodus chapter 19, verse 22, we read, And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. This is just prior to the giving of the law. And remember the the barriers were put around the bottom of Mount Sinai. But it tells us here, The priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Sometimes people think this is like an evangelistic appeal. You come to God. It's not. It could be made such, but it's not. It's an appeal to believers. God's appealing to his own children. That's an amazing thing. 
He's asking his own people, you come near to me. And when you come near to me, I'll come near to you. And that's what we do every Sabbath day here, is it not? We set aside the Sabbath. We set aside the Sabbath for public worship. We come aside for prayer. We come aside for praise. We come aside to read his word, to pray, to hear it preached, to hear it proclaimed. And as we do so, we draw near to God. But the promise is God draws near to us. What reassurance God gives to us in his own holy word. And that is why I would encourage every dear child of God, don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way or anyone get in the way of you drawing near to God. There are many people who misuse the Sabbath day and they use it for business and they use it for visiting. And oftentimes you'll get people just dropping in at your house and uh, 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 just so awkward hours and they expect you then just to turn your whole schedule upside down to suit their schedule. Uh, I have known it even in, in our own lives to happen like that and people would just would have called in, they were, oh, I'm just in the area, or they're out in their holidays, they're out for a drive, or they're in the caravan or whatever, and they just call in. It's not a good job to call into a minister's house on a, on a, on a Sabbath day like that. And I always made people welcomed. I never turned anybody ever away, never ever would do that. But I just then invited them out to church. Now, if you'd like to come with us to church, you're very welcome. Or you can wait there to week come home. Don't let others with their schedules interrupt your schedule of drawing near to God. Fourthly, verse 8 teaches us that we sorrow over sin. We sorrow over sin. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Those who draw near to God have to take it seriously. They, they mourn over sin. I said this morning something that I don't think we really understand fully. That salvation, it's not easy. Sometimes people think they just walk into salvation. No, it's not like that at all. The, the, the grace that I know and the salvation that I believe is the salvation of the word of God. Yes, it's instantaneous. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. That new birth is just when it happens. But there's a whole preparatory work in the soul that has to be done. We sorrow over sin. Christians sh should sorrow over sin. These verses emphasize that is something that has to be dealt with in our lives before we draw nigh to God. Before the church will see revival, we'll first of all have to deal with the sin before we come near to God in prayer. And true sorrow over sin will always result in the determination to be cleansed from it, the desire to be freed from it. Cleanse your hands. This is symbolic. It's a symbolic way of saying that I want to be purified. I want to be, to, to be cleansed. Cleanse me, Lord, from every sin and set me free. Purify your hearts. Not just the outward, but the inward. The very thought life. Purify your hearts. There are many today, and yet 
You couldn't tell from their hands what's going on in their thought life. But we lament, we lament before God those poisonous arrows that the devil fires at our mind. And the thoughts that go through our minds are sometimes necessary to cleanse not only our hands but even our very thoughts. What, what, how can that be done? How can it be done? Let's never veer away too far from just the, the simple fundamentals of God's truth. We're thankful tonight for the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of God's own dear Son. And we read concerning that in 1 John 7, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And I always take great encouragement. That cleanseth. It's in the present continuous tense. It just keeps on. When you see that ETH, it just keeps on cleansing. And we're glad tonight. We rejoice tonight that the blood of God's own dear Son, it keeps on cleansing us. But what do we have to do? We have to keep on confessing our sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we, if we, if we. Have you ever noticed that right down that little passage? If we. Don't take the high ground tonight and say, Pastor, that's not for me. If we. Don't take the high ground and say, I have no sin to confess. If we. And if we confess our sin and draw nigh to God and seek to purify our hands and our very thoughts, then the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us still from all sin. James expanded this thought a little further, verse 9 and 10. What he was calling for was that deep, genuine work of repentance. <clears throat> We've heard a little bit in the internet and over the news media about so-called revivals. It's happening over in America, spread to other parts. I cannot tell what's going on really in people's hearts and minds. Only God can, can do that. But where there's revival, there'll be There'll be tears, true sorrow and repentance over sin. It'll not be some, as it were, stage show, a staged managed show. It'll be something that's wrought in hearts that are broken by God. There are many professing Christians within the, the, the visible church and they're quite content to stand afar off but God invites us tonight I want you to get that little bit God invites us draw nigh come to me draw near to me cleanse your hands purify your minds draw near to me the blood of Jesus his son still cleanses as you draw near to me there's grace to be obtained in time of need May, may the Lord do that work in all of our hearts and lives. I was greatly taken because we, we've looked at this in the past weeks in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 7 about judging. Judge not 
as a, a command that God gives to us. Judge not. Verse 11 and 12, in this whole process of growing in grace, again, we're told, speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? What's the reference here? It's a reference to gossiping. It's a reference to the critical tongue. And time and time again, we're not going to go back in it, but in the book of James, uh, the apostle refers to this little member, this the smallest of members that can do the greatest of harm. And in the hearts and lives of someone who's known the sanctifying influences of the Spirit of God, there's a control in the tongue. And an uncontrolled tongue is evidence, evident evidence of an unsanctified life. James said, avoid it. Avoid it. The believer who can only sneer, the believer who can only snipe, the believer who can only nitpick. Someone uh, definitely is not going on with the Lord. James gives us these helps, these positive helps. All the negatives are in the opening parts. The positive helps are in this second part of the chapter to, to grow in grace and to go on with God. Is that not why you're here tonight? Because you do genuinely want to grow in grace and you do genuinely want to go on with God. This is the way to do it. Not some superficial, glib way. This is God's way. May the Lord help us to apply the truths to our own hearts, not to somebody else's heart. But may we apply them to our own hearts and live in the light.